0: Alright man, here we are for another episode of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. This is episode number 91 being recorded on quite a chilly night, or should I say late afternoon, on Friday December 22nd, 2023 at 4.23 p.m. It is the Friday before Christmas. I hope you have done your holiday shopping. And if not, I hope you get that done in time for Monday. Uh, You know, whatever kind of uh, Christmas traditions you may have or holiday traditions or anything of the such. Whether it be food you eat or films you watch or whatever it might be. I hope you stick to it and make the holidays uh, another great one for yourself man only comes once a year so you might as well stay on top of it and not wait till next year but I tell you uh, no snow as of yet we got a little bit of a flurry not too long ago but that kind of came and went but the chill in the air is definitely pervasive. That, that kind of fall weather is long gone, man. Those leaves on the trees are dead. They've been scooped off the sidewalk, sucked into those uh, trucks. You know, the trucks have like long hoses on them. They kind of crumple them up and stuff. And uh, it, is, it is now really into the winter season that we're going to be in for quite a bit of time. So perfect chance, perfect opportunity to uh, wrap yourselves up in, in some blankets Make some hot beverages—tea, hot cocoa, coffee, whatever it might be. Uh, get some literature read. Get some writing done. Get some films watched. All of the above, whatever it is you have to do, just take advantage of the weather. Or if you're in an area where you don't get the winter, you're in like California or you're in uh, you know Florida, or one of these kinds of places, and have that winter mentality. It's the end of the year. We got to get the stuff done before we. Start over again in 2024 and uh, we keep on, keep on rolling, man. Keep our dreams moving forward. We're not stopping. We're not giving up. We're not going to succumb to, you know, nonsense of daily lives. I guess, oh, this and that, oh, this is nonsense, that's nonsense. We're going to keep on moving forward, man, and we're going to make ourselves have a great life while wow, we still got it, It's the only one that we got. Unless you believe in reincarnation, but, you know, if I come back I'm a frog, I can't really watch a whole lot of movies, man. So I guess I might as well just do what I can in the time that I have now. But anyways, man. A lot of people have time off of work this time of the year, uh, or at least have, you know, maybe Christmas off, or you have a day or two off, or a week or two off, or whatever it is that it is. So, now that we are at this time of the year, it's time to focus. It's always time to focus, but now, because we have the freedom, because now we're not subjected to uh, whatever, it is, whatever our 9-to-5 jobs are, uh, that we have, we can now focus on ourselves and our dreams on making them come true so that when we go back to work, whenever it is, they're going to be like, hey, what you do over the holiday break? Oh, you know, I did a lot of nothing. I just kind of sat around and, you know, just drank beer and watched TV. And then you can say, I made my dreams come true, man, one step at a time. And everybody asks that, what are you doing this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? And, man, it's like I always got to tell them, you know, I'm living my life. I'm doing what it is I want to do. And that is making, getting the job done and making my dreams come true, man. It's been plenty of... Uh, Plenty of films watched lately. I'm playing a little bit of catch up because I was out of town recently, so I didn't get to watch as much as I would have liked to. So, uh, this past week, though, has been quite a bit watched. uh, Quite a variety of titles watched, some new, some old. I just saw a new contemporary film today and I have to go see another one tomorrow. So, it's just great. Uh, Getting together some of my favorites of the year so far, but there's still so much to see. And, um, you know, so many films don't get released uh, to the United States or. um, outside the territories until later in the year. So, you know, if you're looking at people's best sub lists, uh, you know, you got to keep that in mind. There's still going to be plenty of films that uh, won't uh, be coming out for a little while. And, uh, you know, in some cases, not till, like, later on in the year. Think of a film like Hold Me Tight, which I didn't see till later in 2022. And uh, that was technically a 2021 film. And and that was just one of the best things, best films, uh, my favorite films of oh, technically 2021, it made my top 10 of 2021 list. But, you know, when I was looking at people's, uh, when I was hearing people talk about their favorite films of the year, I didn't see that. I didn't hear it mentioned it at all because probably not enough people had seen it. But now it's gotten some recognition. I believe it's on movie right now streaming and it's just a wonderful, wonderful, brilliant film. And uh, definitely one not to miss for sure. Um, anyway, so... Got some films here we're going to talk about, so we're just going to go right into it. Uh, Let's see here. So, I got some contrasting sort of films today. We're going to talk about the first one from the year 1962, directed by a couple of filmmakers. Uh, We got John Ford directing as well as Henry Hathaway and George Marshall, so, a good lineup there. 1962 How the West Was Won. A uh, latter, latter-day Western epic with a hell of a cast. And I remember when I first heard about this film, and I and I, I saw that cast list. I said, "Dear God." how have I not heard this film talked about in regular conversation of the great westerns? You know, even to the great 60s westerns, even before the Wild Bunch sort of breathed new life into the genre, I'm thinking, okay, this is a latter-day kind of John Ford picture, you know, a lot of big stars in it, it's, uh, it's, it's almost overwhelming the amount of quality kind of uh, cast members you got in this, but how is the film itself? So I recorded this off of TCM, and, and right when you first watch it, man, this isn't like any other film you kind of watched before, because you're looking at the picture of it, and it's Curved. And I thought, alright, this is just going to be for the opening credits. Some films are formatted a certain way during some of the uh, credit sequences, but then you are watching the film and you're like, okay, we're in for the long haul on this one. This is uh, almost three hours and this is shot uh, famously in CinemaScope. So, how do I describe CinemaScope? Well, it'd be probably easier for you to just look it up or watch some footage on YouTube or anything of the sucks, but essentially what it is, it's a camera that has three lenses on it. Now, I kind of just casually read about this, so I'm not going to try to claim to be an expert or have any sort of expertise on the uh, on the uh, way the film was uh, shot, but from what it, what I've seen, it's a, uh, it was shot with three lenses that were composed for the screen. Uh, to make one curved image so it's like kind of att- attached together. So early on in some of the uh, flying exterior sequences to introduce the film, you can see in the middle that you can see the middle framing we have a little bit of a blur uh, quarter of the way down from the left and a quarter of the, of the way down from the right. And it's noticeable at first, but then when you get into the actual, um, you know, uh, y- y- not even just the action sequences, but when you get to a lot of other big sequences in the film, where you get to see the beautiful exteriors, I mean, it, it-, it kind of fades away at that point. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know the restoration of this. I watched, I like I said, I record this off a of TCM from a couple months ago, so um, I'm watching. Uh, a little bit of the footage here, this HD Restored trailer on YouTube, and it looks far more clean, although you can see a little bit of it. But what the film does is that it creates, just? I mean, uh, the the most obvious thing, the most shallow kind of superficial thing to say is that it creates a bigger image, man. So you're getting, the the spatiality of it all is is becoming far more apparent when you're watching this. And yes, with the exteriors, man, you have these beautiful kind of tracking shots where you're getting such a wide range of image there. It almost feels like the way that I can describe it is that if you ever played like a virtual reality video game or something like that, where it feels like you have the ends kind of, uh, uh, there's not quite a center, uh, or at least your eye is not exactly centered on um, the, the the middle of the frame, man, because there's so much happening to the left and to the right as well, especially in some of the sequences, like towards the end, uh, during, there's a big train sequence, and you're seeing, like, the, the traversing uh, uh, landscapes come pushing at you, man, or pushing away. It's one that you, your eyes are jumping all over the screen, man. And because of this, it, it uh, when, I, when I was reading up on it, is that it was far more difficult to shoot any kind of close-ups, man, because you have all these lenses, and it's sort of like, where do you even focus on, man? It's sort of like there is no really sucks thing as a close-up in this, man, because you're going to have a warped kind of weird image. And, and at times, it is noticeable how the sides can look a little warped in a way. Um, sometimes it's more noticeable than others, um, but still, I think this is a case where watching it on a contemporary kind of uh, modern television or watching it on the internet uh, is a case where it most likely, you know, it's doing the film an injustice. I think this is probably the only film I've ever seen where, you know, when people say, oh, you got to watch this film on a big screen, you got to watch it theatrically. And for certain films, I would definitely agree or so. But I think this is a case where by seeing it in Cinerama, you're going to get the proper experience. Now, that's a shallow thing to say. Now, obviously, that's the proper experience. That's what it was meant for, but this more so above anything else because of a film like, I don't know, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, because I've seen that film a couple of times. I've seen it in 70mm, I've seen it at an IMAX digital presentation, and I've seen it at home on a 4K Blu-ray. And that's a film that is made to be seen cinematically on the biggest screen you can, or the loudest sound system you can. However, if you watch it at home, you're going to get a great experience as well. But with this, because the image is so Specifically fitted for a cinemascope screen or a Cinerama screen, I should say. Um, the that, uh, that that's really where. It's going to be most ideal. Now, you're not going to be thinking about it halfway through the film. You know, you're going to forget all about it. But then there are times where we have these bigger kind of action sequences, excuse the squeaking chair, uh, where it is definitely noticeable. But let me get the cast out of the way here, man. You got, let me just line up some of these people right here. And it's a bit of an anthology sort of film. So a lot of these actors don't share the same screen, but uh, they are all in the film together. Because you have a couple different segments of this. You have uh, John Ford directed the Civil War segment. Uh, You have Henry Hathaway, who directed the Rivers, the Plains, and the Outlaws segment. And then you have George Marshall, who to the railroad section, and uh, the Henry Hathaway's section is at the beginning, and then John Ford's is in the middle, uh, and then George Marshall's is at the end so. Just running down this list here, I'm just looking on IMDB right now because I don't want to miss some names. we got Carol Baker, Lee Jacob, Henry Fonda, Carolyn Jones, Carl Malden, Gregory Peck, George Papard, Robert Preston, Debbie Reynolds, James Stewart, Eli Wallach, John Wayne, Richard Widmark, Bridget Baslin, Walter Brennan, David Bryan, uh, Raymond Massey, uh, let's see here, uh, Thelma Ritter, uh, uh, Spencer Tracy's a narrator, Russ Tamlin, uh, Andy Devine. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, man. It is absolutely ridiculous. And there's a... Uh, there was a, a big actor in this. I think as has a small role as well. And I cannot for the life of me remember who it is. I'm trying to look here, but I'm not going to be able to find it right now. So I'm not even going to bother. Uh, that's right. It was Harry Dean Stanton in one brief part of the film, along apparently Le'Veon Cleef, who I missed in the film, but it's a spectacle film, and let me tell you this right now, man, it's not, I got no problem with spectacle films, I've said before on the show, there are just those films that you watch, that they're they're spectacles, they're big films, and actually, uh, YouTube auto-played a showing at the Cinerama Dome right here, and I'm watching some of these sequences, and yes, this is, I mean, you go on YouTube and watch, know, this sequence is a little bit rough with the camera splicing, um, this is the ending of the film with the giant exteriors, oh boy, that's really off, I hope that's, uh, not a film issue, but a projection issue, because I didn't notice that when I was watching the film, but anyways, so you have these different segments of the film, and it, and it all, you know, it all looks great, but the thing with the film is that it's, you know, I think at this point, When it comes to a lot of these big kind of Hollywood epics, man, this is definitely around the time when a lot of them are starting to go away. Because even when you get a film like a big, like I think about big Hollywood epics from like like five, ten years earlier, I'm thinking of films like uh, like Giant. From 1956, or especially the big country um, from 1958, actually also with Gregory Peck and uh, Charlton Heston as well. Is that, yeah, they're these big kind of uh, you know big epic films with you know not just epic in scope, but run times. They're long films, they have big casts. But then when I look at films like that, I I when I get more so out of the spectacle of it is the character stuff. And I was talking about. Uh, the Big Country and my favorite films of 1958, that was one where uh, I don't think I articulated as well as I would have liked to have, uh, you know, but but I, I was saying how strong the character dynamic was between Gregory Peck and uh, Charlton Heston in that film, where you have these characters. Gregory Peck is forced to be a person that he doesn't want to be because being a pacifist, kind of letting people walk all over him and sort of, uh, you know, it's not only... Uh, he, he realizes that it's not just... It, he doesn't matter if he demeans himself. He's willing to laugh himself off but how other people may perceive him and they can take advantage of him and all that. Cause they, so you have these epics with these big scopes, but you have the quieter, tender sort of moments. And, of course, the dichotomy in, in a film like Giant between Rock Hudson and James Dean and sort of the different... Um, uh, ways their way their lives go on, man. They're just they're both excellent films, man. Actually, The Big Country especially is getting a new restoration from Kino Lorber that's got a new Blu Ray out in January, I believe. That already has a Blu Ray out right now, but if you haven't seen that, you may want to wait on that. And actually, Giant just got a 4K uh, a couple months ago, and uh, it's just a really terrific film. It didn't make my uh, favorite films of 1956, but I, I wanted to mention it because you'd be surprised the amount of people who have not seen Giant. And of course, there's so many films that you know people are gonna say, "Oh, you haven't seen this film. You haven't seen that film." looks like brother i'm gonna go to my grave with plenty of great classic films i haven't seen we just watch what we can at the time that we're allotted and we kind of you know that's where we got to focus on our craft on our art man and you know that is including, you know taking in art so people will be like oh you haven't seen this film or that film looks like well brother i can name off five six seven eight nine ten films you haven't seen it doesn't matter the quantity, but what you get out of it man you know if someone is like oh i haven't seen citizen kane or i haven't seen wizard of oz or i haven't seen Casablanca, it's like man and someone goes like, oh, man, you haven't seen those films? He's like, brother, man. It's like there's plenty of great films you haven't seen. There's plenty of great films I haven't seen. And, you know, any anytime you hear somebody talking like that, yeah, you got to be like, hey, man, it's, it's, it's not the proper response. You say, oh, that's a great film. If you check it out, I recommend it. You know, that's all you got to All you gotta really do. You don't have to be a real jerk about it. But, I mean, like I said, it's a beautiful looking film. And the only time when it really becomes kind of awkward is, uh, you know, th- there's a there's a point at the end where they're filming with a helicopter uh, over these uh, movie bookends with some great exteriors at the end you're going through a city and all that and it, and it looks great but there's one part that was making me laugh because you look down and and you can see the end of the uh the helicopter like i mean he's clearly in frame there's no way to even kind of get rid of it man they're probably filming down as, as close as they could without getting both of them in the way um but yeah it, it's just it, it, it looks fantastic man uh it's um get this here. Uh, You know, and with the casting as well, it is funny because you have James Stewart in the film whose character is supposed to be in his 20s. Meanwhile, he's 50-something like that. I think his character will be 28, and uh, you know, he's he's 50-some-odd at this point. And uh, actually, speaking of which, of Jimmy Stewart and um, John Wayne, I just see that uh, a couple days ago how uh, uh, The Shootist is getting a new Blu-ray from Arrow Video, so that's very cool. That's uh, John Wayne's last film and one of his best. I mean, talk about... (laughs) Going out on a high note, man. Really, really terrific stuff. But I mean, it's a it's a solid film nonetheless, man. I wouldn't call it great or anything like that. I I, I do think that it, it it not when I say it drags at times, I don't mean I'm like bored there, man. I don't get bored by that kind of stuff. I mean more so that I'm not as engaged with the characters. And because this is such a spectacle at times, that can only hold your interest for, for so long, man. But with that said, I mean it is a really solid film, and I think especially for people who live in that area who if you you know if you're able to see. If there was ever a film that you really should uh, uh, see theatrically, I feel like this would probably be the number one because of of film because of this film was specifically formatted for that situation. But really cool stuff nonetheless. I mean, this is one that I've grown an appreciation for since watching it, and I do actually like it quite a bit the more I think about it. So good stuff, man. Uh, Latter-day John Ford... Um, Henry Hathaway and George Marshall film, good stuff. Uh, How the West Was Won. I think there's a Blu-ray out of it and stuff. I don't know if there's a four K or anything like that. I don't, I don't believe there is. I think there's just a Blu-ray, but but good stuff nonetheless, man. I, I really did enjoy this film. There are certain films like that, I and mean, they're just they're just good to watch with an audience because you know. If you, if you live near, uh, if you're in like a big city, if you're in like New York or uh, Boston or Los Angeles or Chicago, one of these big cities, you know, you probably have many, many, many uh, kind of repertory theaters that just show these kind of classic films and all that. But even if you're not, I guarantee you there's probably like, I know like Cinemark and AMC were doing that for a while. They were showing a lot of uh, classic films and all that. And there's just certain films that I think are just, you know, really exceptional to watch with an audience that you may not gonna get that experience at home. I, I look at stuff like, um, you know, I think I mentioned that story before, but I remember... Or this story before, I should say, but I remember the first time I watched a couple of Marx Brothers films, and I wasn't really, I wasn't, like, laughing at it, man, and, and you know, I'm not going to force myself to laugh at anything, but, you know, comedy is, like, you know, it's got a, you know, almost, a, it's almost an unsubconscious, or just conscious way that, you know, your mouth moves before your brain does, you're laughing at a joke or something, that's the best feeling, you know, if you're watching a comedy, you don't even think about it, you just laugh, you're like, oh, man, I didn't have time to register the joke, I'm laughing, that's great, you know, um, but those films, I just wasn't really getting a lot out of. And I remember I listening to a podcast, and somebody said had the same situation. Um, I was in, or maybe not the same situation. But they were saying like, you know, watching the film, those films in a cinema is so um, important to that that kind of film. Not just that, not just like a comedy or slaps to comedy, but. Uh, a Marx Brothers film because there are times in the in the comedy when it pauses so that there, the audience can laugh and there's no score for a lot of the sequences so you know I think it is important you know to, to watch these films theatrically a lot of these films given the opportunity you know and it's you know I'm looking at like I know there's like like Cinemark showing like Elf and like Die Hard and stuff and that's just great man you know if you haven't seen those films and then you go see it theatrically for the first time you're like oh my gosh you know that's, that's fantastic so um, it's just great watching some of these films with some people man and, and you know different situations call for, for different different films call for different situations I mean I'm the kind of guy I like to watch films by myself I don't like to watch films with people I don't need any of that nonsense distraction but if I'm in a cinema man it's one thing you know it's like I'm not gonna there are just those certain films that I think an audience might enhance it and uh, and you know I'm talking about that film uh, the, t- the Kashimike film the Happiness of the Katakuris man I would, probably wouldn't have found it uh, wouldn't have found it as funny if I if I probably watched it by myself and that's a good film as well and I definitely do like that And actually, funny enough, speaking of the Katakuris, I recently just watched for the first time Visitor Q, because that's one that was a big one that I had never seen from Takashi Miike. Um, That also came out the same year. He did a couple of films in 2001, but that was one of them. And that was a very good film as well. But uh, a different kind of film for sure. Definitely a black uh, comedy, you know, a a very dark comedy. Whereas The Happiness of Catagory is far more um, silly and goofy, but also you know, uh, funny in its own right. Far more intentionally comedic, I should say, than Visitor Q, where you know, there's a lot of uh, dark stuff in that film, but it's meant to be seen as kind of uh, over the top or ridiculous that you're laughing at it, you know. Uh, But both films good in their own right. But on the uh, opposite end of a of a uh, big spectacle film like How the West Was Won. Let me just pause this right here for a moment. So on the complete opposite side of a giant Hollywood spectacle film with a giant Hollywood cast, a bunch of A-listers, you get a sip of this coffee right here. Uh, when you're listening to this, it'll be like just a moment has passed, but actually it's been quite a little bit. I don't know if time to make a coffee and eat really quick. So, ooh, that's hot. Good God, man, that's hot. Wait for that to cool down before I have any more. But anyways, on the opposite end we have, I decided to revisit a film that has been creeping up to becoming one of my very favorite films, and especially one of my favorite films of the 21st century so far, from a filmmaker who I've mentioned in the show quite a bit before, Angel Bujelski. Uh, I rewatched his 2002 directorial debut, Funny Ha Ha, uh, in preparation for uh, the, a... Recording that's going to be coming up. And so I rewatched this film, released or it was made in 2002, released in 2005. And I also decided to watch his follow up film, also from 2005, his film Mutual Appreciation, with a couple of the same cast members from Funny Haha. Ha. Now, a lot of the actors in Funny Haha ha only did a couple of films, or maybe only did that film. They didn't really, a lot of the members, of, a lot of the cast members didn't do many, many other films. Um, but Adrian Bujalski would go on and have a very interesting career as well. I've seen almost all of his films now except for Results and They're There, which was his newest film. But I've seen both this and Mutual Appreciation. I've seen Beeswax, uh, I've seen Computer Chess, and then he did Results, and then he did Support the Girls, which is a very, very good film, uh, and then he did There, There, which I haven't seen yet. But Funny Ha Ha is often considered to be sort of the beginning of the mumblecore trend of films that would last for another couple of years or so. Uh, the Duplass brothers would go on and make a bunch of films. They did like The Puffy Chair, and they did uh, some, but uh, actually uh, directed quite a quite a number of quote-unquote mumblecore films. As well, we have the work of um, Aaron Katz, who would do films like Quiet City and Dance Party USA, both of which are good and my favorite of his work, and one of my favorite films of this kind His film Cold Weather from 2010, which is a very good and uh, underappreciated film. But it's interesting to look at the cycles of a lot of these uh these films following these kind of 20-something characters. I recently re-watched uh, one of my December watches of um, Witt Stillman's M- Metropolitan from 1990. And actually, I just listened to a very interesting interview with Witt Stillman from a couple months ago on... I'm uh, blanking on the podcast name. As I... will try to pull it up here while I talk. But I'm thinking of... Uh, what the... heck? You know, I, I can't even talk and look at the same time. Extended Clip, that's what it was. They had a very interesting... Interview with Witt Stillman, where they were doing some uh, cinemas doing a retrospective on his work of, uh, his, of his 90s trilogy into uh, Damsels in Distress from 2011 and Love and Friendship from... Sorry, I got interrupted there, so I may, may have lost my train of thought a bit, but I'm thinking of uh, the 20-something-odd films, uh, or cared about you know 20-somethings uh, of... You know like like uh, kicking and screaming or like I said metropolitan different kinds of films but generally kind of in the same conversation and I think that this kind of mumblecore trend of the 2000s the mid2000s was kind of the last of that really uh prominent uh, sort of uh, up and coming 20 something sort of wave of films you know and these films like this man that were that were being Are recognized on a on a widespread kind of critical level. Whether or not you like any of these films is completely in the eye of the beholder. However, um, I feel like now there's not really. I mean, if there are, I don't know about them. At least you know, I may not be too privy on it. But I mean, there would uh, all these guys would go on to do. Different interesting films later on in their careers. Um, so I, you mean, know, this is definitely a, a a trend in that. You know, even like the Dupless brothers we go on to a whole bunch of other stuff. But for the time being, I, I think a lot of these kinds of films, I end up just really enjoying. Uh, uh, Funny haha, ha, I think is is uh, the m- most uh, directly influenced film, or at least films being most directly influenced from that. Probably more so than mutual appreciation. I mean, mutual appreciation feels it has that kind of mumblecore feeling, but it feels a little. Um more focused than something like Funny ha, ha Ha where neither one of these films have a clear kind of outline it's more so about characters in these situations and which is fine I don't, I don't need a plot outline I don't need an ABC narrative I just enjoy these characters in, in these settings these situations but um, I could see somebody perhaps getting more a uh, good enjoyment out of mutual appreciation than, than Funny Ha Ha because what this, fil- what both these films do is they're very they allow you to kind of just stick with these characters for a while it's not really concerned with pacing and it's not really concerned with uh, you know cutting a scene too short you know we have these sequences in, in mutual appreciation. We have the main character who is uh, in like an in, like indie kind of rock band, and he'll play a concert, and the, the the film will allow him to play the whole song, and then you know it'll be like uh, co- like awkward conversations that they let um, kind of play out in a way that you know I love when uh, I love when Vincent Gallo was talking about Buffalo '66, and he was talking about how they have a lot of the shallow criticisms of uh, people kind of comparing his work to other uh, works of filmmakers, um, and he, he always thought that was a shallow uh, kind of criticism, like, oh, well, it's kind of like this, it's kind of like that. So, you know, I have been guilty of that before, but I think one instance in particular in Mutual Appreciation that feels kind of directly close to another filmmaker, and specifically another film, is um, uh, the film Faces by John Cassavetes, where there's like a long sequence where you have the main character in Mutual Appreciation, who let me pull up that actor right there? He looked like Simon Kinberg, and the whole and for there was a, a couple times like, is that him? Is this is like a young role for him. He looks so identical. This character, this character Alan, like Justin Rice. He's uh, he's with this uh, other girl who he's kind of having like a fling with at this guy's house, and. Um, It's uh, it's an awkward setting for him where he kind of doesn't want to be there, but the film lets it uh, play out. Much in the same way, there's a great uh, moment in Funny Ha Ha where the main character in that film, I don't even know why I closed out of that page, I need to get back there, but the main woman in that film, she is kind of hanging out with this other guy, not really, they're both being really awkward about it. And I think the other guy was actually played by Angie Budzowski, who is a former coworker of hers. And he is, they have some very kind of like awkward conversations with one another. Both are very kind of awkward in their settings. But uh, I just went to go click on the thing here and then Amazon wants to open up a Spanish version of the page. I don't even know why it got me there, man. God damn. Oh man. Trying to, get all this together it's not working so okay yeah Adrian Bajowski is played play that character and it's sort of like these characters are just so bored that they don't really even know what to do that the idea of just breaking something is is more appealing than just sitting in silence you have that character played by Adrian Bajowski, uh, who they're just kind of not really talking she's you know she's trying to be nice but kind of doesn't want him to be there and all that. The character uh, Marnie, played by Kate Dahlenmeyer, who has a small part of mutual appreciation as well during a party scene, which is what I was talking about, the faces kind of, a uh, comparison there. Uh, uh, that scene and the scene earlier. Actually, I'm sorry. More so the scene at the party feels closer to faces. I, I messed up my, uh, and messed up what I was saying there. But but with this, like, they'd rather just smash something, which is like a bottle, and then ha- have some sort of excitement to their kind of their dull lives, man. But, I, you know, I might go more in-depth with Funny Haha ha if it, uh, if it comes up on a future episode and, you know, I'm recording soon, so I, I may go a little bit more in-depth on that, but it is very interesting to see these kind of companion films together, where mutual appreciation feels more like a, something closer to an, uh, an indie kind of uh, uh, dramedy comma, whereas Funny Aha feels more, far more in line with the mumblecore kind of film, much of the same way the film abruptly starts and ends, so it's either going to be your thing or not. I, I remember the first time that I watched Beeswax, uh, from two thousand nine, I was uh, taken aback by the abruptness of a lot of it, but but now having seen these films since, funny how hot I've seen twice now, it uh what makes me far more interested, interested to watch Beeswax from a new perspective. I, I have the Blu Ray of that, and um, as well as I got rewatched Computer Chess, I'm really liking that a lot. But it's been a little while, but uh, I just wanted to bring up both those films all three of these films were watched recently and it was an interesting seeing the dichotomy between a big-budget Hollywood spectacle film and a super low-budget quiet character film that is both these. But I'm going to finish this up right now. Everyone have a blessed holiday a blessed christmas god bless you all that good stuff this is a beautiful time of the year don't waste it only comes once a year man so make sure you're working on your craft and your art catching up on films literature writing all that good stuff man do not let it pass by you man because it will if you don't take advantage of it okay thank you so much